Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Towards the end, Socrates gets injured as well. And he, he, by the end, he's, he's, he's watching second halves with the ultras of a beer in his hand. Hello, my name is Seb White. I am the editor-at-large of Mundial magazine, and we've been going since 2014. It's taken us nine years to do our own chat podcast. It's been an extremely busy year, so like everyone else, we're going to try and rest, recharge, and reflect. So, there's arguably no better time to look back at the best bits of reminding you why you love football so far. This episode will feature the very best adventures in clubland. We'll also summon our favourite mascots of the world to unite and take over. And finally, we also compile the best, or is it the worst things, from our out section. The following episode, number 35 if you're counting, is also another best of and will include some other great highlights from what we've done so far. For the full Reminding You Why You Love Football experience, check out the timeless back catalogue available wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll even put the links to each of the featured clips here and what show they were from in this episode description. Sit back and enjoy this episode, which is the best of reminding you why you love football so far. Hut one, hut two, hut three, hut. <laughs> I'm your host, Old Dirty Blackhurst, live and uncut. Joining me today are introducing the Goose Face Killer, producer Tommy Stewart, Nobody Can Be Iller. Continuing this Wu-Tang-themed intro, Mundell's features yeah. editor, the jizzer, James Bird. Not the genius, just a jizzer. <laughs> and finally, the man with such trouble down below that he regularly returns to the chamber 36 times of a morning, Very good. Sebastian <laughs> Dennis <laughs> White. Very good. There we go. My Very word. Good. My Very word, good. yeah. ODB ain't nothing to fuck with. No. Not this morning, anyway. Not today, no. I was going to call you Inspector Neck, because you've got quite a long neck, but I thought you'd prefer that. <laughs> yeah, I am very, yeah, I'm very funny about my neck, aren't I? <laughs> Inspector Neck. Really yeah, no, you should be Inspector Neck, you don't that's like what, it being touched. Yeah. That's why he wears his that's things. That's why up. I always wear buttons up. Adventures in Clubland. Indian Summers, Loans and Last Chance Saloons is where we're going next for Adventures in Clubland, a magazine regular that we've brought onto the podcast and have had um, a lot of fun in doing so. It's a great place to go and talk about things and, and, and little periods in players' career. This week's Adventure in Clubland, we are going to mid-90s Portugal. Oof. And we are going there because of a man called Rashidi Yakini. Now, he was an apprentice mechanic, he was born in Nigeria, and he went from being an apprentice mechanic to being someone who was nicknamed the Gold's father. Now, you don't get nicknamed... <laughs> the Gold father? The Gold's father. No, Gold. Gold's! No pressure. I mean... Yeah. So, uh, between 82 and 90... Uh, Rashid Yakini scored over 200 goals for clubs in Ivory Coast and Nigeria. But the story of Rashid Yakini is one of goals, but it's also one of mystery. In 1990, he moves to Europe. He moves to a team in Portugal called Vitoria Setubal. And this team are in the second tier of Portuguese. They're a team who have won the Portuguese equivalent of the FA Cup in the past mm. but in this period 80s to the 2000s they're very much a yo-yo club and when Rashidi moves there mm. he is uh, they are in the second tier of mm. the Portuguese league his second year at the club he uh, scores 32 goals in that season and Ooh. gets them promoted to the top tier Ooh. and in his third season at mm. the club he wins the Portuguese top Goalscorers Award. So this is 93, and this is when Rashidi Yakini hits his peak. Now, you might well know him 
more famously for the things that he did in a Nigeria shirt. He represented Nigeria at seven major tournaments. He scored their first ever World Cup goal against oh, Bulgaria wow. in 1994. You might have seen the celebration. Yes. the goal. And he's clambered into the net. And I think what he's actually screaming is, it's me, it's me, is what he's screaming as he, wow. as he holds the net. So this oh, is, wow. I didn't know that. So this I is know his, the image, but yeah. This it's is his me. peak time at Vittoria Setchable. He wins the African after that season where he's the top goal scorer in Portugal. Mm. He wins the African uh, Player of the Year. The first uh, player from Nigeria to do that. This time in Portugal, relentless goals. He's called 91 goals in 114 competitions for Vitoria Setubal. But It's a tidy rate. Though. It's a tidy rate. <laughs> but it's also shrouded in mystery, really. There's very few stats on Rashidi Yakini's time there. There's very, very little footage. There's one footage, there's one compilation on yeah, YouTube yeah. created about Rashid Yakini's time there. So I watched it and to watch him play mm. is breathtaking. The way that he moves towards the goal is like unlike any footballer I've ever seen dribbling with the ball. And that's the best dribblers with the ball. Who 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 are they? Messi, Messi. Maradona, George whoever. Best. George Best. There's always some sort of diversion of movement with the way that they mm. run with the ball. Yes. The way Rashid Yakini moved with the ball was straight towards the goal. Straight, straight towards the Are goal. Are we talking it, Bale-esque or just... I'd say Bale is a very, very good comparison here, but yeah. Bale was more... Bale is more renowned for his dribbling on the wing, yeah. right? Yes, Rashid Yakini was centre forward. Down he was six foot three and he would run towards goal um, and, and, you know, scored... An uh, inhumane number of goals. An inhumane. <laughs> but a good place. You want to hear from the fans who watched him. Yeah, yeah. And the fans who watched him for Victoria Setchabal mm. on the comments of this YouTube, yeah, yeah. they tell you about this man. So I'm going to read a couple of the comments yeah. out. Legends never die. His soul and legacy will never be forgotten in Setchabal. Much thanks and respect to the Portuguese who made this video of Nigeria's greatest striker. RIP great one, I'll never forget you. Good striker, may God have mercy on him. Regards from a Setchable fan in Turkey. Apparently during his time, um, I think it was after his third season at Vitoria Setchabal, guess who wanted to sign Rashidi Yakini? Sir Alex. No. Too obvious. Another manager in Portugal. Bobby Robson. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby. Robson. Bobby Robson at Sporting inquired. Um, and no, no finer judge of a player. Come on, yeah. This week, I'm going to talk about Rude Hullet. Now, anyone who knows me or now anyone who doesn't, I love Rude Hullet. I've loved him since in the 1988 European Cup final, not the European Cup final, the Euros final. I saw a, a man who looked unlike many people I'd ever seen before, actually growing up in a small town in, in Shropshire with his dreadlocks and his moustache and his, his regal air on the pitch. I saw him score that header past Renat Dasev and watched his hair, his dreadlocks explode like fireworks and... I was sort of obsessed with him from then, and and then that Milan team became a bit of an obsession. But the and thing is with Hullet, I think, and I know I said this about Baggio as well, but I think even more so with Hullet because of his reputation in this country from the whole sexy football stuff. It's almost gone past who he was as a footballer, which is an absolute crying shame. Mm. Because there's there's I could talk about every one of his adventures mm. in Clubland. From starting out at Harlem as a young sweeper, a club that's now defunct. I've been to Harlem. It's a, a lovely place, and I've been to the ground there as well. But Harlem is now defunct. But from there, he went to Feyenoord, played with Johan Cruyff and won the League and Cup double in Cruyff's uh, season of revenge there against Ajax and, and, and played up front. He then went to PSV. Feyenoord fans hated him for it, called him a wolf. But he went there and went back-to-back Eredivisies. And then he went to Milan, obviously, two European Cups. Ballon d'Or winner, Dedicated his Ballon d'Or to Nelson Mandela when mm. Mandela was still imprisoned in Robben Island. A little trip to Sampdoria, out of nowhere really. He'd had some injuries and went there, led them, led them to a Coppa Italia and Sampdoria don't win a lot of, of trophies. No. But then he came to Chelsea. Now, it, the impact of, of Rude Hullet, even one who'd been a little bit injured for a couple of years, he's in international exile at the time, uh, him and Dick Advocar had finally fallen out. Like Rudolph only got 66 caps for Holland. There's players now <laughs> getting 100 caps for everything. He yeah. only managed to get six, 66 caps. Um, still the only Dutch men's captain. 
to lift international silverware. Mm. You know, no one else managed it. And you think of all the players they've had. But he turns up at Chelsea, a young Glenn Hoddle, very progressive and forward-thinking coach at the time, gets Hullet in. Um, and Hoddle was a huge reason for Hullet to come because he he admired him as a player growing up. And, and Hoddle had sort of been playing sweeper himself for Swindon before this as player manager and still absolutely running the show. And anyway, he brings Rudin and sticks him uh, as sweeper. And it's sort of... Hullet looked imperious from the off, but... There's a, there's a brilliant quote about this time when he said, I'd, I'd, I'd get hold of the ball, I'd open out, I'd make space and I'd roll a pass five yards in front of the right back, but the right back wouldn't get there. And he said, Glenn said to him, I know why you're trying to do it. They don't. <laughs> so it's probably better you do those things in midfield because we keep because we're conceding goals. And he went into midfield and it seemed it was a real blink and you'll miss it time because he ended up as manager very quickly. Mm. Yeah. But in his time as a player, I got lucky to... When he made the team of the season, he was second yeah. in the Players' Player of the Year or the Football Writers to, to Cantona. And I got lucky that I went to see him and I went to Villa Park on Boxing Day. It must have been 96. It might have been 95, but I'm sure it was 96. And I went with my uncle, uh, who's a Villa fan, sat in the whole tent. I had the fucking ace, King Jack, Queen and all the other clubs in the pack. Mother, father, sister, brother of all hangovers. It was my first... <laughs> Christmas um, as a working man. Then I was working in a factory cutting steel in the Midlands. And I was, I, you know, I had the, the good old British traditional absolute week on the piss running up to Christmas, you know, at Christmas Eve, <laughs> at Christmas night, to the whole, t- to Villa Park on Boxing Day. Throat would hardly work, like just in, in all sorts. But I had to go and see Rude Hullet play. And that's the reason I went. And there's a period in the game and the ball swirled up in the air and Hullet sort of steps out from the base of midfield just kills it dead and in the blink of an eye hit this fucking raking pass curved and swerved over the top of the the villa defense for zola to run onto zola takes it around the keeper and scores and i stood up automatically i didn't i it was a complete automatic and i just stood up and clapped like that <laughs> and if you've never if you've ever been to Villa Park or sat in the Holton, <laughs> at the time it was, I think, it was the biggest goal end stand in Europe. It's gigantic. I think it was, yeah. The Holton is fucking yeah, a big yeah, yeah. stand. Yeah, it's a big it stand. And I stood up and clapped and sort of my uncle's like tugged me like that. Yeah. And it felt like there was 15,000 uh, Brummies wanting to kill me. Yeah. There probably were. Th- there were. Yeah. And I was like, but there was no, no, no. There wasn't much no. Christmas cheer on no. the show. <laughs> We are going to France. Oh, la la. Yes, we are going to France. And one, Lucia Roberta Tough Bronze. Is that her real middle name? Tough. Tough. Really? That is so good. Lucia Roberta Tough Bronze, more commonly known as Lucy Lucy Bronze. Bronze. That's definitely her middle name. I didn't believe it at first. Did a bit of research. And even on the 2015 FIFA World Cup squad list, that is her full name. And you can trust FIFA. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 and then yeah. I did go. Okay, maybe FIFA have got this wrong. Yeah. Um, that, that archive conversation I was having with you guys from FIFA. Let's just keep it going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they, I had a look, and they, yeah, there's loads of articles referencing that and, and interviews with her where she's referencing it. But there's, there's, yeah, I couldn't see a discernible reason why. What a suitable middle name. Yeah. Oh, well, exactly. And I think that's the. Whether you know a lot about women's football, whether you don't, you would have heard of the name Lucy Bronze, I imagine. Because she is arguably England's best player, most successful player. And I think the reason why we're talking about this is the adventure in Lyon is a real turning point for her in that she doesn't just become a very good player. She becomes one of the best players in the world by playing for Lyon. Now, give you a bit of background. Lyon Feminine are uh, obviously... One of the best teams in Europe, if not the best team in Europe. In fact, before Lucy Bronze joined, they'd won two Champions League in a row. Yeah, they'd yeah. won, they'd won eleven previous French titles, so they're dominant at home and abroad. So Lucy Bronze has left Man City, a club on the up with with a lot of resources. There's not many clubs she could have left to go somewhere better, arguably. And she's gone to Lyon to train day in day out with world class players and to win. Champions Leagues and do well in Europe and this is why it's such a good adventure because some people might crumble under such pressure but I think it's a sign of her mental toughness which she's had throughout her career that she absolutely relishes it and what happens is essentially the first season they win a league in Champions League 
Second season, they win the league and Champions League. Third season, they win the Champions League. and <laughs> Fucking hell. So when's that? That's 2017. 2017 to, to 2020. But what makes this an adventure worth highlighting and is, is the personal progression. Because trophies are obviously important and, and, of course, she wants to win all the time. But in 2018, she was shortlisted for the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. In 2019, she's a runner-up. Yeah. <clears throat> in 2020, they don't do a Ballon d'Or because of COVID, even though there's been a lot of football, which is strange. Ooh. Strange. However, that year, off the back of a treble for Lyon and performing brilliantly for England, as she always does, she wins FIFA Women's Player of the Year. Get in. Uh, not many, obviously, right-backs have won that, male or female. So no. goes to show in the level of talent and the level of ability she has. So it's such an, an amazing adventure. She says the reason she became much, or she became even better than she was, because she obviously had the talent, is her mentality's always been strong, but she's training day in, day out, and she's training with captains of international teams. Yeah. She's training against the best left winger in the world. Yeah, And sometimes when they swap, she's training against... A, the best right ring in the world. And she says that brings out constant improvement and demand. The beautiful thing about this is, though, alongside that personal progression and alongside that development that she's got, it's also at the same time that the England team are becoming even better. And she's yep. becoming an integral an integral part of that. And, and I think she's shown that you can go out of your comfort zone and you can go and succeed and you can improve as a player and bring that back to England. And I think um, I think the thing with Lucy Bronze is what she does is she she's basically the poster girl for the rise in professionalism of the 100%. game or, or yeah. one of them because, you know, we're not long ago when they're playing on <coughs> sh- shit pitches. Oh, yeah. Awful pitches, crap kits, fucking all of it. And the game has gone like that, more money into it. Look, there's still a long way to go. We all know that. But her progression has gone like that as mm. well. And I remember the first time I saw Lucy Bronze play. And you, you you shouldn't compare. But for anyone who hasn't seen her play, the the right back she reminded me most of in playing style is Cafu. Mm. Yes. Just the tr- Cafu's nickname was the train, right? Or the locomotive yeah. or whatever. Up and down and up and down. And then very skilled on the ball and capable of, of, of doing a bit of everything. And every time I watch a play, I'm just like, oh, my fucking God. I've, you're not getting a, you're not getting any change out of that, and I think the mistake she made against Spain yeah. mm-hmm. in the World Cup, where there was three or four more mistakes after that, hundred exactly. percent, but because yeah, yeah, yeah. of her level of consistency and her mm. ability, everyone put it on the first mistake, yeah, which yeah. was her losing the ball in midfield, yeah, and then, yeah. but it was like, hang on a minute, it went there, then there, then there, then yeah, there was then, a lot then. to happen, post-up. and I think it's just because of her level of consistency. And the another thing I like about the women's game is the way that. It's a lot more fluid in terms of people leaving um, them leaving mm. British clubs, yes. English clubs, and, and going abroad. In her third season, she's joined by Nikita Paris and Alex Greenwood, yeah. who've course, come over. Yeah. Um, so she sets the standard, <clears throat> and she mentions it herself that going to a foreign club, getting out of your comfort zone, is is only going to improve you as a person, but also as a player and playing against. You know, again, the WSL is get stronger and stronger every year. But even if you go back five years, it's nowhere near as strong as it is now. You know. I um I saw her play in Lyon mm. in the Women's World Cup semi final. Oh wow! Um, 20- and 19. in twenty nineteen, yeah. yeah, when she, she was playing for Lyon as a club, and she reminded me like you've just said, Cafu, because of the way like a train up and down. She reminded me of Kyle Walker quite a lot. Mm. Like carries the ball so brilliantly, those big strides. Um, and it was also around that, like I realised. But you that... could trust her to go into a pub without jumping on a table and dropping her trousers. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Um, you never know (laughs) but it was around that time as well that England had that sort of England men's team had that sort of big glut of right backs Mm. coming into the team who were all brilliant so watching her I was like you're also a crop of this modern right back in this sort of contemporary game where you're expected to do more than than, than be a right a traditional mm. right back, let's say. And I realised that she could have played anywhere on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's why I think about it. Watching she... the game, she could have played anywhere. It's Theophilius Doctorson Kamalo, known oh, yeah. as Dr. Kamalo. Now, Dr. Kamalo, the headline news, um, is a South African midfielder born in 1967. And I first became obsessed with this name and this sort of obsessed with this player 
in 2019. And when we developed the original slate for season two of Giant, we were going to be doing a lot of traveling. It was going to be more of a magazine show. And one of the, one of the places we were going to visit was South Africa. We were going to do a piece on um, the first Bafana Bafana team who who played after South Africa's readmission, of which uh, Dr. Kamalo was a member, along with Mark Fish and some uh, Lucas Radaby and some other other players Premier League fans would know. I remained uh, fairly enwrapped by Dr. Kamala because uh, of the name and because of some clips I saw of him playing and some things I read. Now, he's a Kaiser Chiefs fucking legend. Mm. Like, you know, they're in their most successful period. Um, his dad had been a player... There's two, more interesting stuff to say about Dr. Kamalo than his adventure in Columbus Crew. Scored a few goals, was ever present while he was there, played in MLS All-Star Games. Yeah. They didn't win anything. Like, it was it was fine. But really, this is a vehicle to talk about him because otherwise, I don't know how we would. The first thing you need to know about Dr. Kamalo is his nickname was 16 Valve. <laughs> and that was because there was a popular Volkswagen Golf at the time in that was like the car you wanted if you were growing yeah. up in South Africa at the time. So there's the why, there's the Columbus crew. Now, there is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful seek it out highlights video of a famous game uh, in the 90s. The 1996 Mandela Cup match. Oh. And Brazil went to South Africa. For the first 60 minutes of this game, and it's a fucking good team, they, mm. Brazil have put out. Like a fucking good team. Bebeto's up front. You know, there's Aldeas at the back. You know, it's a good... It's not far... It's two years removed from the team that won the World Cup and two years removed from a team that will get to the World Cup final. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Now, Kamalo puts on one of the finest midfield performances you will ever see. And you look at him, he's he's tall. He's a big man, 6'2", rangy, big stride. And he is... Very techy, very languid, but the work he does at the base of a midfield is so brave and shows mm. such a command of his own ability because he is skipping past players and playing one-twos and he does it all very tight, little pirouettes, little turns, but then he's got the ability to go on and drive and score and and create as well. And he scores an absolutely wonderful, wonderful first-time volley. The ball gets cleared out just on the stroke of half-time, and he fucking runs and buries it. And I would say, I've watched it quite a few times, and there's a similar clip he does against Liverpool a couple of years earlier as well, where he absolutely runs the show. They can't get near him. I mean, literally, this isn't yeah, this yeah. isn't hyperbole. This is like, I saw someone leathering me for saying something about Heskey, but this isn't hyperbole. This is, he ran the show against Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Um, they ended up losing the game because they took him off and made some, made some substitutions. But yeah, like just, I would say, the player I would liken him most to, honestly, currently yeah. is Jude Birmingham. Oh, oh, moves like High him, moves like yeah, him, yeah. moves like him. Can do it at the base, can do it Authority. left, can do it right, can do it in yep. the ten. And the doc- a famous the doctor putting on a clinic. The doctor putting on a clinic. There's a wonderful piece um, on the Mail and Guardian in South Africa by Carlos uh, Carlos Amato, who's an illustrator and writer. And there's a few bits in here. Owen, can I just ask you to read out the headline of that that I've just seen because it's fucking brilliant. Doctor Kamalo, the S curl, the glamour, the funk. Oh, <laughs> that's good. Boom time. And it tells the story of how this piece is brilliant. Um, it tells the story of how he was mugged when he was 16 and then ran away from the muggers shouting, um, one day I'll play at Orlando, Orlando Stadium and you'll come and watch me. What a, what a man. Wow. What a man. Well, a kid then. Pure 16V. It's the intelligent lack of appetite for physical combat. This was the cheese boy spirit he brought to the football chief for Kaiser Chiefs. And on the pop culture stage of young, newly democratic South Africa, he showed a generation a way to be street without being rough, a way to triumph by sheer force of ease. Oi. There's another couple. This is good, good shit. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But there's another quote from, um, which I think is as important because it's sort of, it it backs up what's been said there from a different level and there was a um, South African DJ uh, DJ Black Coffee which is a great name which yeah. is what Tommy would be called actually, <laughs> DJ Black yeah, Coffee yeah, yeah. and he said here that not only is he one of the reasons I support Kaiser Chiefs he was a guy you wanted to model you were like when I, when I grew up I want to be like him because that's the only way we understand what inspiration is oh. in the township back then if the most coolest guy is a thug that's all you want to be because you look up to this guy he's so cool and he gets all the girls and you get into it because it's the coolest thing these are the men that saved us. Pioneering excellence in the earliest of age. You've done so much for us. And I've got goosebumps reading Bloody that. Oh, I mean, honestly. For the second time today. What? This. 
So that is Dr. Kamalo. If there's a job that Mundell and this podcast should do is to make sure players like this get known by more people. Because it's very easy to get, to sit there and do a thousand words on a Maradona game or mm -hmm. a fucking... Of course. Or, or whatever. But to go deep on a Dr. Kamalo, who, look, first member of the first Bafana Bafana side, winner of the AFCON, star of the Mandela game against the Celeste, you know, huge, huge, huge Kaiser Chiefs legend, played in the US, whatever, but revered. <laughs> Socrates at Fiorentina in yes. 1984 to 1985. The Doctor. A season of madness, mayhem, and a lot of fun, as we will find out now. Take me there. So, for those who don't know, Socrates, of course, the captain, the bearded, um, languid, tall captain of the greatest cult team of them all, probably, um, or certainly up there, the 1982 Brazil team, widely recognised as the most talented team to never win a World Cup. Full of musicos and people like that. So go on then, Seb, take it away. Right, so you mentioned there he was captain of the Brazil team in 1982. Obviously, probably most famously known club-wise for his um, captaincy and playing for uh, Corinthians. Socrates was growing up in uh, Brazil, which had a military dictatorship. Uh, he was very much of... Um, the on, hunter! Yeah, uh, well, exactly that. He was very much on the left, left, left side of politics, always was his whole life. Um, very interested in things outside of football, p politics, history, philosophy, all those things. It was were important to him as much as it, as football was. And so much so that he was captain of the, the the Corinthians team that basically led very popular movement for democracy in Brazil. And unfortunately, it didn't quite work. as He certainly applied pressure, but it didn't apply enough pressure because the reason he goes to Italy is because he makes a promise that if Brazil embraces democracy, democracy and democratic politics, then he'll stay. But it doesn't get passed through Congress. So he is true to his word as he as as he is throughout his whole career and decides he has to leave Brazil, um, a partly protest and, and partly because he wanted to go and try and try new surroundings. So Socrates goes to Italy. He's obviously well respected in Italy because of the 82 game and that, f in, that, that famous game between Brazil and Italy. He Wants to go to Florence because it's the most beautiful city and that's where he wants to live. So typically he's not just choosing it for football reasons, he's choosing it because of the, the, the culture, the history. And why the bloody hell not? Yeah, exactly. If you're, yeah, you're Socrates and have your pick, you can have your pick of clubs, Yeah. go to one where you want to live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I will say this by, I've read it twice at least, and I read it again, or certainly the chapter on Fiorentina again, Andrew Downey's brilliant book on Socrates, which I would very much recommend, but... He arrives in Italy. He's as we—he's he, a very different footballer. He he smokes. He's a smoking footballer. Yes. One of his famous quotes around this time was, "I smoke, I drink, I think," <laughs> which probably sums up Socrates so succinctly. <laughs> but he, there were still flashes of, in games and things like that. The fans loved him because there was those flashes. He did have um, one particular time when he was trying to so he cheer himself up from the cold weather and not not particularly going well on the pitch. He hosted a carnival party at his house. <laughs> Of course he did. Um, a two-day party. So he invited all the Brazilians that were in Italy at the time in Serie A to come. So the Zicos, your juniors and players like that have turned up for it. Um, now, I didn't know this until until I read Andrew Downey's book. But in, in Carnival, it's quite a thing to uh, take something that's like poppers. It's called Lanka perfume. Oh. And it gives you a bit of a giddiness and a bit of a high effect. Well, you couldn't get that in, in Florence. When you say like poppers, yeah, does it also make your arsehole more popular? <laughs> I, I can neither conf no, confirm or deny. If anyone Brazilian is listening, please do let us know. An, um, an English room odorizer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's called Lanka Perfume. And obviously, you can't just pick this up in Florence in 1984. So um, Socrates goes to the local hairdressers. And just gets loads of hairspray and douses tissues in hairspray. What? So everyone who walks in has to sort of inhale this hairspray. Now the problem is he's not chloroforming people, is he? Well, I mean, it's <laughs> sounds that way. He's, yeah, not, he's not turned heel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's letting loose. Let's let's just say that. Uh, but the problem is that, and it's famous. There's a famous story. Is the hairspray is dyed. So loads of people are walking around with dye on their mouths at this party. I mean, I'll be honest, this sounds like the worst party I've never been to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, it goes long into the night. And then he had the next day, he, he invites all the Italian players in, along. You know, he's day two. He's trying, yeah, day two. He's trying to, he's trying bridge to the gap. bridge the bridge gap the a little bit. Yeah. And they all turn up in their suits and ties. 
And he's like, this is a carnival. You know, he's there in his flip-flops, shorts and T-shirts, even though it's whenever it is. It... And dancing away. So do you know what Socrates does? Gets his shears from the garden and starts cutting all their suits up. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> While they're in them. Well, he gets them to take them off and things like this and just cuts like, and they're going, no, this is Armani. This is Armani. Stop doing this. Yeah. So... It's an adventure for Socrates. <laughs> On the pitch, the season that does peter out for Fiorentina, they get knocked out of Europe and they do, I think they finish ninth in the end, so not particularly great. Towards the end, Socrates gets injured as well. And he, he, by the end, he's, he's, he's watching second halves with the ultras of a beer in his hand. Introducing The Hattrick, a new subscriber newsletter from Mundial. Each week, there'll be three stories linked by a theme. Stories from islands, stories about people, stories about heroes, stories about villains, stories about love, hope, despair, joy and, of course, goals. Go to mundalmag.com to sign up to the hat-trick now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This also almost seems too good not to put in. It's something we have a lot of fun with in the magazine. Mascots of the world. Unite and take over. <laughs> that is fantastic. That was sensational. <laughs> I'm not... Can you do the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mascots of the world. Unite and take over. Now, what I would like, James Bird thinks he does a good Morrissey impression and he hasn't got it out for ages. And for me, it sounds like Kermit the Frog. But let's just get the let's just get uh, the list. Mascots of the uh, world. No, I'll have to do a different song. But I haven't got the stitch to wear. Uh, frog. Miss, Miss Piggy taking her drawers off. Said it's crucial that someone so handsome should care. I wasn't expecting it to go this Brutal, way. Brutal, not crucial. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> uh, Tommy, I'm, I'm st- sorry, sorry. That is incredible. Tommy, that's the first time you've heard that impression. Do you think it's good? Compared to mine, no. No. Oh, compared, really? compared to the standard man, maybe. In, in my head, no. the it's noise exactly the same. that's coming out is exactly yeah. how Morrissey It's Morrissey man. meets Kermit, somewhere yeah. in the middle. You're being too kind, it's shit. <laughs> Right then, um, so there are fucking terrifying, mental, weird mascots all around the world. They get weirder and weirder and weirder the more we search. Mascots of the world, unite and take over. Sorry, mascots of the world, unite and take over. Um, this was sent to me um, a few weeks ago by friend of the podcast, friend of the Mac. We can play the clip. Robert Gavin, um, and Oof. we're going to play the clip. We're going to play the clip. How are you doing, mate? It's your big fan, Bobby Gavro. Anyway, I've uh, seen that you're talking mascots in the most recent podcast that you've done. There's obviously only one mascot that you need to discuss. Now, at Everton, we're obviously very traditional and we've had the toffee lady, a young girl who throws toffees at the the kids in the family enclosure and stuff. Very traditional, very understated <laughs> and very classy. However, we're not talking about her. We're talking about Mr. Testicles. <laughs> So, Mr. Testicles is exactly what he sounds like. He's a giant pair of gonads, basically. And he was put on the pitch at half time to take a penalty in a pair of ASICs runners. And it's not something that looks like testicles, and, and people have called him Mr. Testicles. He was 
genuinely a pair of bollocks that was on the pitch <laughs> taking a penalty to like raise awareness for like bollock cancer or something. You've got to Google it, mate. Honestly, it's a pair of bollocks with like googly eyes. I think he buried the penalty. He could probably do a job for us now, but yeah, there's, there's an idea for you because fucking hell, class. Get Mr. Testicles back. So in the week leading up to the game against Sunderland, the Everton website release an image of Mr. Testicles and he is exactly as Robbie Gavro has just described there. He is just a pair of bollocks in a pair of shorts. Yeah. <laughs> and um, some Asics runners. And about Asics runners. And this is what he said. And the idea behind Mr. Testicles, the person behind Mr. Testicles is called Mr. Cox, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> COX. Mr. Cox, COX, whose idea it was, said this to the official Everton website. <laughs> Everton have shown that it's a Premier League club with balls, with so many supporters, the majority of them being men. Everton is looking after its supporters by ensuring they are aware of male cancer. Now, as as as, as said on the on the message there, he takes penalties. He comes on at half time and takes penalties. <laughs> now this <laughs> it has to be seen. We'll we'll put the video in the description. Oh, it's so We're just good. gonna watch it now because it's only thirty seconds. Oh, and here's Mr. Testicles at Goodison. It's <laughs> <laughs> not even a penalty, he's taken it from the D. <laughs> fucking hell. He fucking bangs it. It's twenty five yards he's out. He's missed the first one. <laughs> it's just two bollocks <laughs> with funny. some googly eyes. Twenty five uh, yards out. A few out. strands of hair, just like a little drawing you would do maybe when you school book. Hey. You know, he scores the second penalty to a packed it's crowd. A free kick. It's a free kick, sorry. Yeah, it's a free kick. It's outside the box, isn't it? And then he scores the Toe third one. Toe that one. Arms, arms aloft, not quite above his, his bollocks. The um, fucking googly eyes, man. The googly eyes are obviously... And then he wears a pair of shorts and he takes penalties. Now, Mr. Testicles, obviously raising awareness for a great course. Um, which, we should, which we should talk about. Oh, I mean, do you... Um, 100%. Do you check your, do you check your, 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 your nads? Too they? often. Um... Too often. Too often, if anything. Um, <laughs> Good. But what I'm, what I'm going to say just very quickly okay. in the middle of this is that we're laughing about this and we're, we're sort of, it is fucking hilarious. It's worked because we're talking about no, absolutely. testicular cancer right now. There should be more of this, yeah. Marketing that is remembered. is is probably the best website to go to, obviously. Um, yeah. Let's just be official and proper about 100%. it. 100%. Check your nuts, I mean. Check your nuts, I mean, yeah. Mascots <laughs> of the world, unite and take over. <laughs> and we're going to Preston North End. Ooh. Oh, yeah. A founding member of the Football League, of course. Of course. Uh, and for the past 27 years, their mascot has been a duck. Why? The Deepdale Duck. Now, why is a very interesting question, Owen? Because a lot of Preston fans don't know themselves, so I went deep. I went deep, didn't I? I went into the forums. You went Deepdale. I went Deepdale. I went wading. <laughs> wading through the reeds. And um, We should have got Seb to do that. He's the only one who's got webbed feet. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> oh. And accord, according to... Uh, there's, a, there's a brilliant... On the Preston North End forum, PNE forum, there is a brilliant. You even um, go on forums of other clubs, you're mad, cunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's where you find the gold, man. It's where you find what real people are talking about. The gullet scar hem. Come on. Uh, anyway, PNE Saint was his username, and he set up a thread trying to find out why their mascot is a duck. Now, there's quite a few different theories, but the one that they seem to agree most on was that Deepdale, Preston Stadium, mm. was built on Deepdale Farm. And Deepdale Farm was mostly dairy, but they had crops as well. But they did have other animals. And another, you know, they had, they had pigs as well. They had they kept cats, all sorts of animals on the farm. Yeah. And there were also ducks. And because That's duck brilliant. is uh, alliterates with Deepdale, ah. the mascot became the Deepdale duck. Now there was there was another another thread on this forum that suggested <laughs> that they actually kept mostly lambs and that um when twenty you know in in the mid nineties when they were sort of sorting out who was gonna be who was gonna represent them, that um a lamb was chosen, that the, the mascot yeah. should have should have been a sheep, a lamb. But apparently the chairman at the time decided that the costume for the lamb was too expensive. <laughs> Oh, and, and, oh. The, and the duck was cheaper. Yeah, so yeah. Went with the yeah. Duck. So I believe James uh, right. that the Deepdale duck, um, a bit of a character, is a bit of a character. Oh. So, so just very briefly, the, to take it on 
even further, the other theory about another theory on top of this about the farm is that the centre circle is actually where the duck pond was. <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking. It sounds a bit like fucking crop circles. This, come on, tell us about the duck. So, <laughs> I like the theory. The duck since the mid nineties like was um, inside the duck was a man called Simon Nash, and Simon got up to some mischief, shall we say? Uh, he famously in the two thousand eleven season interrupted Mark Clement live from the tunnel as he was broadcasting on BBC. <laughs> And this was during a game against Derby who had Stephen Bywater in goal. And uh, throughout, <laughs> throughout the second half, the Deepdale Duck is just pissing Bywater off. He's just nattering, having a pop at him. He gets chucked out. The Deepdale Duck, the Deepdale Duck gets marched out by two stewards. And he this, has is to a, get, this is the home game? Yeah, yeah. He His has own to, stewards are chucking yeah, him out. He has to, he has to, <laughs> but he has to, you've he been ha- there. He has to go round off. He has to go round off the pitch in front of the fans as well. Frog marched out of the stadium. Mascots of the world unite and take over. In the nineteen ninety three version of um, the Copper America in Ecuador, the mascot was um, Choclito, uh, which was a corn. Choco is the um, ancient Peruvian word for fresh maize, whatever. Anyway, Choclito. And Choclitos, um, they are a crisp, like a snack brand over there as well in Ecuador. And Ecuador is famous for its um, for its domestic corn. And a large part of its GDP, I think, still comes from corn. But that's not why I wrote about it. I wrote about it because if you looked at that Copper America, 93, it was won by Argentina. Gabriel Batistuta scored oh. two in the final. I just thought it was a, it was a good tournament. But also because he looks um, like this. <laughs> um, He's and lovely. I thought <laughs> Chocolito is an edible mascot. He is a he's a corn with boots and a big smiley face and two little bits of hair on top like Seb and a <laughs> good. That's good. Oh, I, uh, I wrote this piece about the mascot. Um, until now, it had been a good few weeks. Him, a little corn from the outskirts of Quito, chosen to be the face of the tournament in a country famous for its delicious corn. The designers had nailed his cheeky side, and even if he was a little disappointed with the definition of his chest kernels and the preposterous haircut, he couldn't really complain. Chest kernels. That's funny. He'd been treated like a celebrity at all the stadiums, a real star, king of the corn. Except at a Brazil match up in the highlands of Cuenca when that maniac Edmundo picked him up and did something so disgusting that his ears wilted. But how could you account for a man who got his own pet monkey drunk? <laughs> Things had taken a turn, however. He'd been ecstatic to have been invited into the dressing room after the final. Even though he couldn't say it in front of his dad, he loved Gabriel Batistuta. And the chance to sit and chat with him about his two goals was a dream. But here he was now, tied up with Fernando Redondo's spare bootlace come hairband after being ambushed, watching Diego Simeone lick his lips as he waited for the water to bubble. <laughs> Him, a little corn from the outskirts of Quito, about to be devoured by El Cholo. Still, at least it wasn't that animal Edmundo. God knows where he'd have ended up. Yeah. <laughs> Superb. Jessica. Well done, Mr Blackhurst. Mundial joins the dots for football culture. And that's not a boast by us, but the words of an actual subscriber in our most recent reader survey. Why not see what they're on about and have a look at Mundale magazine. 100 pages of global football magic released four times a year. It looks great, smells great, and the writing isn't bad either. Go to mundalemag.com or follow the link in the show description to find out more. Ins and outs. It's like the hot or not thing you would find in your mom's Take a Break magazine. They probably have it in Cosmo as well, but it's it's ins and outs. Stolen from the End fanzine, the uh, seminal Liverpool publication edited by Peter Hooten of The Farm. You're outs. This is where we talk about what we don't like. Pianos at train stations. Seems niche, but what do you mean? What? Well, I'm they're just this. there. What fucking it, train station? A piano in it? Burger lot, Houston, King's Cross, King's Cross. Manchester, Manchester, Houston, loads and Houston. There's... For Christmas? No, 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 no. all always. year round, always. And people playing them? Yes, yeah. people just turn up and like, oh, I know what, what you mean. Do. No, hang on, hang on. So you could just turn up, or they have actual like no, train professionals. Anyone, no, anyone, anyone, anyone. Fuck off, Seb. I just want to interrupt you here because in the last two weeks, go on. You've put out people with Brompton bikes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you've put out pianos in train stations, yeah. yeah. 
You need to chill out on your journeys, brother. <laughs> do, you, do you remember how this started? Let people be people. You need to chill you out. You don't want telling us. You need to chill out on I your just, journeys. You've, let, you've let become a bit of a fascist. So. Let, let people use their little bikes if I they want it? to. Let people who might not be able to afford a piano in their own home, who can play piano, go to a train station and play for and everyone else's enjoyment. It's, it's often homeless people who are yeah. playing them. No, no, no. That's not. I'm not saying that. Oh, you are. Seb, you are. Seb, on these... <laughs> on... We're not all like you. Fucking go around Seb's house, middle of the winter, it's like fucking Seb Bados heating. <laughs> Seb There's no, co- no cost of living crisis down the fucking... Down West London. Down the fucking Caribbean. London. If someone's pl- fucking sick on it and I'm waiting for my train, I'd... Oh, I'll see I'm that on TikTok later on or whatever. I'm not bothered. Don't see it in real life. Oh, no, Seb. No, 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 no. What's happened to Bro. you? Huh? No, Bro. no, no, no. Who hurt you? Huh? <laughs> What's happened? What, Seb, I'm... Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Another rejection line. Can I put him out? Just put him out. Sorry. Oh, Seb, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I was horrible to Andrew Lloyd Webber once. Right, so he's a horrible ma- person. You need to, you need to take a chill pill on your journeys, bro. What, yeah, what's going to, what's going to be next? Yeah, I'm with you, James. You know the problem is don't people you? with funny hair. This is, you know, you know why <laughs> this is the thing though for Seb because most of us can just like lose ourselves in whatever audio we're listening to. Mm. Because he's got his bad ears and he has to use those bone-conducting <laughs> headphones, he can still hear what's going on around him. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't even... No wonder I've not noticed them. I've got my fucking headphones on. Noise yeah, cancellers. I, I stand by it. Mm. It's a waste waste of time, waste of space. Stupid it, idea. What if it, it makes it someone happy? What if it makes someone briefly happy? Again, what if the bike makes someone's journey you're, you're briefly impinging on someone else? Says. What's the judge You're impinging on someone else. They're not out. Mm. I'm worried about you, Seb. Okay. And my outs this week are previously good... Liberal men becoming becoming fascists from living in West London. Uh, I was at a Munich airport recently on a changeover flight and one of the policemen there was so fucking mean to me. I'd lost my boarding pass, which kind of wasn't my fault anyway. I had 25 minutes to change over the flight. I went through one wrong door and I begged him, I said, mate, I've got to get my flight in 20 minutes. He made me start the airport again. It was like GTA. <laughs> like, it was like, geez. and I had 25 minutes, not till boarding, yeah. 25 minutes till the flight fucking left. He said, sir, oh I don't care. He a respawned lot... you. He said, <laughs> <laughs> he did, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, a lot of people have a lot of problems at airports. You're not the only one. I said, but mate, the gate is there and it leaves in 25 minutes. Yeah. I'd lost my boarding pass. I had to go around all the way. So I had to leave the airport, go to the start again, find a fucking machine to print my new boarding pass yeah. off, r- sprint, like yeah, sprint yeah. through security. Yeah. And then I get to security to check my stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I had to beg everyone in the queue to let me through. Oh, Tommy, this sounds... I, and I hate flying insane. anyway. I get through all the way, flight's delayed by half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> And I spent I spent twenty minutes in the fucking camel smoking lounge. Have had about five cigarettes. A, was- uh, a wasted respawn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were you? How, Tommy, on a scale of one to ten, because we obviously played football yesterday. How sweaty were you compared to that? A hundred times sweatier than yesterday. You, you were are. quite sweaty yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you were maybe yeah. the. And it was very hot in in Tommy's defence. You look Tommy like is normally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You looked a little bit like you were standing under a water fountain. <laughs> yeah. Tommy was Tommy was drying his clothes out on the bench. He was, was. <laughs> yeah. my aqua scooter shirt. Yeah. So he but is out. That policeman out. is out. Munich Airport is so out. Don't lose your boarding pass if you go to Munich Airport. Yeah, my fault to be honest. Ref watch. What is that? Ref watch is people on Twitter and on football forums identifying, finding out who their ref is going to be for their game the following oh, weekend God. and just fucking slate. And then we never get this, we never get this off them, we never yeah. get this, oh, it's but always this. Just stop obsessing about referees. If, you're going, if you're going to watch yeah. football, watch the football, yeah. stop talking about refs all the time. It's that, tiring. Which wouldn't happen if the referee wasn't there. That is out. I'm going to finish today for my outs with rogue bin men. Now, <laughs> I have... rogue? What the... yeah. yeah, fucking rogue. Come on. <laughs> Tell us. Because I, I can speak from, <laughs> firstly, I can speak from personal experience here because yes. I, I, I was. As, of course. You were a rogue bin man <laughs> yeah. yourself. I wasn't rogue. So in the Come on. I wasn't. You couldn't be. And this is my point. So in the days when I was a bin man, it wasn't very long, for about four or five months, there was two jobs as a bin man. You either fetch out or chuck on. Fetch out means you go behind the houses and... and bring the bins out. Chuck on means you run after and you throw the bin bags into the back. But I chose it for fitness because I was just running behind a fucking bin wagon all day just throwing things. I've never been as fit in my life. Wow. Never, never been as fit Even now life. when you go to the gym every day? I mean, I was fucking 18 playing football five nights a week and yeah. running behind a bin wagon five, yeah, hours, yeah. five hours a day. Well, yeah, there you go. True, yeah. Yeah. 
and shagging a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah, you do absolutely. the math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a Not sli- in the back of the. Sounds like a slightly man. rogue bin man to me, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I wasn't rogue. My point being is. If a bin bag split, we'd be there. We'd fucking sort everything out. You had to. You took a bit of pride in the job. Now the lazy fuckers, they've got wheelie bins, right? And they just put them on the back of the thing. and yeah. The smell still triggers me because oh. I remember when I quit. Yeah, it was course, yeah. The, yeah. the smell was awful. But fuck me. I have to go searching for our bin every fucking week. It's on next door's fucking drive. It's halfway down the street. It's fucking here, there and everywhere. They forced me to become the type of person I hate and put our number on it. They're fucking everywhere and they leave shit in and they don't, yeah. like, honestly, it's like, yeah. come on, do your fucking job. I know, look, I know it's not a fucking nice job, but don't leave someone's bin halfway down the street. That's just yeah. a pain in the arse. And I, you, you just won't be getting tips for Christmas. Yeah, it, this is it, you see. December the 23rd, when Bar I normally sellotape some wedge onto the top of the bin, which no one else around my way does, might I fucking add. Yeah, yeah. And I stop both my, um, my missus <laughs> and Zach putting stuff in there that could injure a binman. Oh. Yeah. oh god, yeah, you got you gotta be careful. Yeah, well I have had a fucking broken bottle come through and slice my fucking hand. Oh, oh. no. Recorded at the sourdough inflation <laughs> spirit land. <laughs> where we love. We, we do, do. Good we coffees. Do. Good, good good coffee. people. Good yeah, coffees, good, good, coffees, good, good coffees, good people, expensive bread. Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. really need a wee. And that's all right. Well we're not finished yet, James. Oh so god. <laughs> oh no, you're not. It's yeah. it's coming. <laughs> It's going to go so slow. Oh, Lord, it's coming. <laughs> Please review, rate, share. We love doing this. Please do. It's, it's, it's been a fun one today. Hope you agree. If this really has have. been your first time, fantastic. Thank you. We are growing all the time. The, the listener figures are going up every week and people are talking to us about it more. Uh, it's a real highlight of our week. We hope it is of yours as well. As ever, DMs are open, uh, apart from James's for some reason. But <laughs> this, this has been reminding you why you love football. And oh. we are Mandal. We've still got an, we've got a new issue coming out soon. I can't keep up anymore. Go to the store, subscribe. <laughs> uh, James really needs a wee. So, so bad. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> Even well, the best sound of this is something quite atrocious. Reminding you why you love football is a Mundial and Football co-production. Produced by Tommy Stewart and Seb White, hosted by me, Owen Blackhurst, and recorded on the run.